tonight I see we're continuing our series, um, Good News, a series on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're looking at all the aspects of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus. Last week, Henry kicked us off looking at the fact that Jesus came, that Jesus was born fully God, fully man. Next week, we're looking at Jesus' death, which means that tonight we're looking uh, at Jesus' life. Uh, and before we get stuck in, let's read from God's word. Let's read from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. And it's on the screen. This is God's word. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery, for surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Pretty confusing passage on the face of it, uh, so we're going to need God's help to understand it. Uh, so as we come to learn from God's word and reflect on the life of Jesus, let's ask God for his help. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're so good that you give it to us, that you delight to make yourself known to us. Father, tonight would we know you better and would we grow in love with your son, Jesus, with gratitude for his life for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Um, as some of you may know, I am the proud owner of a toddler, um, parent, proud parent of a toddler. Uh, and when you're the parent of a toddler, you find yourself saying a phrase over and over and over again, usually in this sort of posture here. And it's this, why did he have to do that? Why did he have to do that? Let me give you some examples. Um, recently, I bought Elijah a little basketball hoop. I'm going to train him up to be the next Kobe. Um, except uh, my son, being my son, has decided to use his basketball hoop in a rather unorthodox way by going through it himself and using it as a tunnel. Much to my disappointment. Why, why does he have to do that? I've also started phasing out his nap time. And we're replacing it with a thing called quiet time. And the idea of quiet time is that Elijah goes to his room and a nice peaceful setting like that, nice and zen, nice and chill, nice and relaxed. We're going to raise him up to be a nerd and read books. But you leave him alone for five minutes and quiet, turn, quiet time turns into that, which is absolute carnage. That is the contents of his bookshelf, the contents of his wardrobe, just strewn across the floor and him laughing in my face. And you'd see that and you think, oh, why... Why did he have to do that? Or the first day of playgroup photo, an important day in the life of any proud dad. Your ma has probably made you stand outside the door even when you're in fourth year, fifth year, of lower sec, upper sec, and pose. And I was priming Elijah, getting him ready for the outside, you know, front of the door photo, smiling backpack on. I said, thumbs up, thumbs up. And there he is with the thumbs up, but I don't know if you can tell. There's a bit of mischief behind those eyes. And the reason is because as soon as I th said thumbs up, he did the thumbs up and then he realized, ha ha, thumbs down. And so we don't have a photo of Elijah at the front door because he did this the whole way to play a group. Thumbs down. Why? Why did he have to do that? And I think sometimes we could ask the same question when it comes to Jesus' life. Jesus 
lived for 33 years on earth. But why? Do you ever think about that? Why? Is that, is that really good news that Jesus lived for 33 years on earth? Why, why did he have to do that? What was, what was the point in that? Last week we heard from Henry that Jesus was born fully God, fully man, one of those wonderful mysteries of the gospel that we'll never quite understand. He was born at just the right time so that eventually he would die. And then he would rise, and then he would ascend, and then we know he's coming back. But if Jesus was born so that he would die, why did he have to live? First ever console I owned was a Sega Mega Drive. It's up there on the screen. Um, I'm so old that Andrew May saw that and said, I've never seen one of those before. And Andrew May is a nerd. And so that makes me old. And, and the game that I played as a kid really badly, according to my dad, although it didn't seem like that at the time, was Sonic the Hedgehog, also on the screen. The classics are classics for a reason. What a game. And the only thing I remember about Sonic the Hedgehog was this. When you opened the opening menu of Sonic the Hedgehog, there was a cheat code, one of those cheat codes. And it was this, up, down, left, right, and start together. I don't remember anything else about the game other than up, down, left, right, and start together. And what that cheat code did was it took you from the opening menu right to the final level of Sonic the Hedgehog where you could take on Dr. Robotnik. I don't remember anything else, but you could skip past all the things that the plebs have to go through, you know, the people who don't know the code, and you could go right to the end. And sometimes I think, could Jesus not have just done up, down, left, right, and start together and was born and then skip and then die? After all, that's the reason he came. He could skip out, you know, the boring bits of life, the painful bits, the bits where you get teeth, the bits where you get acne, the bits where you have to go to school, all the rest of it. Could he not just, you know, got to the end? Why did he have to live? You know, Scripture, I believe, is really good stuff. It's God's Word, and he has a lot of good stuff to tell us in it. It's really helpful. And in a lot of places, we read about Jesus' life. We read about the reasons that he came and what he did when he lived in this life. John 21, 25 is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. It says, now there, this, is, this is how John ends his, his, his letter, by the way. He writes, now there are also many things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Wow. Jesus came and did so much in his short life that we could not even write books to describe accurately what happened. But we're going to try tonight and come up with just two reasons why Jesus lived. And we're turning our attention to Hebrews 2. And verses 14 to 16 of Hebrews 2 says this. It says, since therefore the children, now that means God's children, that means you and me, if we believe in God, if we have faith in Jesus Christ, if we are Christians, since the children share in flesh and blood, that's just a weird way of saying, in other words, because God's children are human, because we're real humans who live real human lives, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, that is Jesus, likewise partook in the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. I don't know if you ever sang that cheesy song. It's on this school, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them. So are you, though. That's all praise the Lord, right arm, left, you know, how it goes. Um, the offspring of Abraham, again, that is you, if you're a Christian. And so what did Jesus do? Why did Jesus do what he did? Why did he live? Because verse 16 says, it's not 
angels that Jesus came to help. Jesus' life wasn't about airy, fairy, pie in the sky, stuff that doesn't actually make a difference in reality. Jesus came and he lived to help you. Jesus lived for you. Out of love for you, Jesus came and lived for you. He wants to serve you. And the next two verses in Hebrews, verses 17 and 18, two verses give us two reasons, among many reasons, why Jesus lived. Two, two ways in which Jesus serves us. And reason one is this, it's to save us. Here's what Hebrews 2, 17 says. It says, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers or brothers and sisters. He had to be made like us in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus came to save us. Jesus became like us and lived for us out of love for us, specifically for the last bit of that verse, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Propitiation is it's one of those words that you really only get in the Bible. It's a bit of a weird word. You probably hear that word and don't understand it. I read that word and don't really get it sometimes. It's a big word. You don't get it in Harry Potter or Peppa Pig or Animal Farm or somewhere in between. It's, it's a word that really only pops up in the Bible. And literally it means mercy seat or place of mercy. Propitiation, propitiation, I can't even say it. Propitiation is where Jesus turns us from people who because of our sin are deserving of God's holy wrath. He turns us from that into people who experience God's love and forgiveness and life because of Jesus' perfection. And when you read of propitiation in the Bible, really it primarily relates to Jesus' death, which we'll be looking at next week, and Jesus' birth and life and death are all interconnected. But Jesus' propitiation in his death was only possible because of his life, because of his perfect and complete obedience. If you want to get white and nerdy about this, this is what theologians call Jesus' active obedience. That's not a term you ever need to remember, by the way, just for the, the geeks out there. But basically what it means is this, Jesus perfectly keeping and fulfilling the law of God for you and for me. Jesus perfectly kept the law. The law being God's good rules for how we ought to live. And Jesus summed that up in Matthew 22 like this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What does it look like to keep the law? It looks like loving God and loving others perfectly all the time. And that's precisely what Jesus did in his life. He loved God. He loved others perfectly all the time. Every single second of every single day of every single 30, one of the 33 years of his life. And not only for Jesus was that, you know, refraining from doing the bad things in this life, the really bad things and also the little bad things, but it was also making sure that every single second of every single day, not only was he not doing the bad things in this life, but he's always doing the good Jesus always did what was good and what was just and what was right and what was pure and what was lovely, what was best for God, what was best for others. He didn't do any evil ever and he always did what was good. Think about that. That is mind-blowing, is it not? I mean, if you were to reflect on today, just, just one day in your life, just today, 
How many times have you messed up? How many times have you messed up since you came in to see you? <laughs> times you've not done something you know you should have. Times you have done something you know you shouldn't. Today, I have messed up time and time and time again. From the moment I woke up and was annoyed at my child for waking me. And wanted my wife to go get him instead of me. <laughs> to, to even come in here, I have messed up time and time again. Jesus always did what was good. He never did any evil. He lived a life of perfect righteousness. And it's not like Jesus lived in a wee holy huddle, a wee bubble-wrapped life, like sometimes we do at CE, where he experienced very little pressures and not much temptations. He was tempted. He was tried. He was tested. If you go home and you read Matthew chapter 4, by the way, if anybody says, you know, you should go home and read Matthew chapter 4 from the front of CE, honestly, you should just go do it because it's not so hard. Go home and read Matthew chapter 4. You'll see that after going 40 entire days without food in the desert, which sounds like dessert, which would only make me hungrier, after 40 days of no food in the desert, Satan himself shows up to tempt Jesus. And he tempts him with food and he tempts him with power. Two things that Satan tempted Adam with back in Genesis at the fall, when Adam failed. And Jesus is tempted at his weakest, and he remains steadfast and faithful. And more than that, more than any other person to ever walk this earth, Jesus got grief. Jesus got grief left, right, and center from the religious elite who were people who were constantly out to get him to the point that he was put to death. Jesus was unjustly killed by people who hated him. And even when he was dying, he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. He loved God and loved others perfectly. Think about it. How do you react when people get on your back? How, how do you respond when parents nag you? Or not even nag you, even just ask about your day. I can only speak for myself. I get on badly with that. And Jesus, he's not like us. His life was perfect, perfectly perfect, completely righteous. And that was for you. Because we mess up. We mess up continually. We mess up constantly every single day. Even Gilly does. And Jesus fulfilled all righteousness. Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus kept God's standard for us in his life. Because we don't and we can't. And because of his perfection, because of his wholeness and completion in his life, Jesus was able to save us through his death. If we have faith in Jesus, if we love and trust in Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior, he shares his perfect righteousness with us. The flawlessness of his record belongs to you. His perfection makes you perfect. Jesus lived for you. Jesus lived to save you. Can I ask you, are you, are you trusting in him tonight? Do you know this Jesus who lived for you? Who gave up his perfection for our imperfection, his righteousness for our wretchedness, a spotless record for our sinful one. Jesus lived for you. Reason one, to save us. And reason two, to help us. Jesus lived to help us. For you and me, to live in this world is to live in a world that is impacted by sin. When Adam sinned way back, started the Bible in Genesis, creation was described as falling with him. Creation, all this world came under a curse. 
And because of that, in this life that you and I live, we suffer. There's suffering in this world. There is pain. There is hardship. And Jesus lived in this world just like you and me. And so Jesus suffered. He suffered normal suffering. Hebrews 2.18 says this, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You know, when you read there of being tempted, here we probably what goes through most of our heads is that, you know, general temptation, to, the, temp, the temptation to sin in a way that we normally sin. And while that's included in this idea, the writer of the letter to the Hebrews, he has something else in mind. He's thinking really specifically of the things in this life that would tempt us to give up, that would make us think, is it worth it? The experience that you and I go through that we think is, is, is being a Christian really worth all this malarkey. The times in our lives when we think it might be easier actually if we're not trying to be faithful to God. What Hebrews 2 tells us is that Jesus has gone through the same things that we go through. He has experienced the suffering that the curse of sin has in this world, except he never sinned. Again, if you want to be nerdy, this is what people call Jesus' passive obedience. That means he bore this curse of this world upon himself. Writer John T. Rhodes says this, from his birth until his death, Jesus' whole life was lived suffering on our behalf. Jesus suffered for you. And as Jesus grew up and as Jesus learned the scriptures, he would have read of this Messiah that he knew that he would be, this Messiah that would go on to suffer and die. Jesus would learn that these scriptures were talking about him. And yet, he still lived for us. And he still suffered for us. Have you ever been offered help by someone who isn't much help at all? Maybe um, someone offers you help with your maths homework, um, but within seconds, this person thinks that multiplication signs stand for kisses. They're just no use to you. Maybe you've had your heart broken and someone has tried to help you with that. Something cheesy like, oh, there's always more fish in the sea, but the number of tuna in the Atlantic means nothing to you right now. Or, or maybe even you find yourself with questions that actually you're kind of scared to ask other people. Maybe questions you're even scared to ask yourself. Maybe you feel like you're stuck in a rut. Nobody seems to understand, and nobody sometimes even seems to care. And certainly, Nobody would be able to help you. Well, know this. Jesus Christ isn't like a career politician that you see in documentaries or TV shows who promises to help people without actually knowing what it is to be a real-life human being with real-life problems. Jesus suffered, and he suffered for you. And because he has suffered, he's able to help you. He's really able to help you. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you picked up um, the Bible and read one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and read one of those just in one sitting? That'd be a really good thing to do. It'd be a really good thing to do this weekend. And if you do that and you read the Gospels, you will see the life that Jesus lived, just snippets of this life that Jesus lived, and you will see really clearly that he suffered. You will see that Jesus had to deal with people who only wanted to hang out with him because of what they thought they could get from him. You will see that Jesus got rejected 
by his entire hometown. Can you imagine going into Portadown and all the people coming to our houses and saying, no, not you, not here, get out. Happened to Jesus. Jesus had family problems. His brothers tried to stop him doing his ministering work. They tried to stop him talking because they thought he had gone cuckoo and lost the plot. Jesus had an embarrassing ma who wanted him to turn water into wine at a wedding party that Jesus really didn't want to do. Jesus experienced loss. He witnessed the fact that his cousin was beheaded because he was faithful to him. He saw his best friend dead. He was tired often to the point that he needed naps. Amen. But more than that, Jesus was the victim of injustice. He experienced a mock trial where he was tortured and then killed. And at the end of his life, Jesus experienced heart-wrenching betrayal by one of his closest friends. Desertion by the rest of them. He was hung naked with all the shame that comes from that, with watching his belongings being auctioned off, nails put through his hands, experienced the death of the lowest of the low. He suffered. Are you ever tempted to give up? Jesus knows what that is like. Do you ever have questions like, is this worth it? Jesus is right there with you. Do you ever struggle to fit in or, or know where your place or know really where you belong in this life? John 1 verse 11 says, Jesus came to his own and his own people didn't receive him. Does your life ever feel like a snow globe in the hands of a toddler being shaken around? shaken about with uncertainty and dire need of help. Jesus empathizes with you because he has been there too. Hebrews 2, 18 says, because he has suffered, he is able to help those who are suffering. He's able to help you. He's willing to help you. He is desirous to help you. That's why he lived. Because Jesus suffered and because Jesus is a realist, and I've said this before, God is the realist of realists. Jesus knows how to help you in your real life. He knows what you're going through when the struggles come, when temptations raise their ugly wee heads, when you're having difficulty seeing through the muck that you're wading through right now, when life just feels like a long, hard slog. Jesus knows what it's like and he is there for you to go to. Jesus lived so that he might empathize with your weaknesses and your struggles. He is someone who has been where you are and is able to help you in the moment you find yourself in. Jesus is never going to turn around and give you some empty cliches or a book recommendation. He gives you his perfection and he gives you his help as someone who has been there and knows what it's like. Jesus helps you even when it doesn't really feel like it. And you look at the life of Jesus. And you look at the suffering that Jesus went through in this life. And you ask the question that you ask yourself sometimes when you follow Jesus. And you say, is it worth it? Look at the life of Jesus. Was it worth it? Is the suffering that Jesus went through worth it? Absolutely. Absolutely it was. Despite his suffering, he lived life to the full, a life of perfection that he shares with you now. Is faithfulness worth it? 
Will your life make a difference? Your scar-marked Savior says, yes, it's hard, but he will help. The gospel works, and the gospel is worth it. Jesus endured his life. He endured suffering for you. His life of faithfulness was worth it. Through it, he accomplished our salvation, and he gives us eternal, constant help. Do you know both of those things today? Have you experienced salvation in your life? Do you know that you are united with the perfection of Christ here tonight? And do you know his help? Our beautiful Savior who suffered unimaginable pain out of love for you so that he might help you in every moment of every day. What a life he lived and what a privilege we have to share in it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the life of your son, Jesus Christ, who loves us dearly and is not finished with any one of us here tonight. We thank you that Jesus lived a life that we could never live, a life that we can scarcely imagine, a life that is beyond our understanding, one of complete perfection, fulfilling love for you and love for people and love for us always. And we thank you that that life is ours through faith in Jesus. Would you help us to trust in you? And then, Father, would you help us to remember that you offer us help to follow Jesus every moment of every day. That through our Savior, we have everything we need. Lord, help us to run to Jesus, to look to him at all times and in all things. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.